0: The got bumps. got big Jim a yeah, big welcome back
1: dumb. to Kyra Nights and Spike O'Neil country home. at my side is Matt yeah, Butler at the boards. late great, great Jim Croce Jim now I don't, I don't think Jim Croce is one of the 27 club I'm not I'm not certain I, I mean I I don't hear his name mentioned, when you hear the 27 Club, of course, of those uh, recording stars who died at the age of 27, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, all members of the 27 Club. Um, I'm not sure that Jim Croce fits into that. I think he may have been a little older than 27, but I know he was a phenomenal talent that was taken far too soon. And I know his son actually is out playing too. His son is touring. With the music of his dad, which is just fantastic. Uh, Matt, how are you, my friend? I know you've had a phenomenally great weekend and you've been riding high. And I know today, uh, do you mind if I talk a little bit about why? No, go for it. Great. Go for it. Um, You know, Matt is, uh, folks at home, (laughs) we've talked about (laughs) it before. Matt's a single guy dedicated to his career living in the city on his own. And you grew up in the Midwest? Is that fair? Or the, well,
0: the South and the Midwest. South and the yes. Midwest. The South we originally, and, the, and
1: then the Midwest. Now. Yeah. Um, and you moved here for this job, and it's tough to move to a new city and be on your own. It's it's a lonely life, and I don't I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to make funny or anything like that. I, I totally respect what you're doing and what you did. I moved here myself alone in t- 1989. You know, I, I moved here with. Bob Rivers and Sean Donahue. So I had some friends, and I'm, it's, I'm not trying to say you're friendless. You're not, but when you live alone and you work a lot, it can be tough. And you had you had a friend in town. I did for the weekend. Um, uh, a friend with benefits? I don't want, I don't want to push any, push any personal boundaries here, my friend. Well, officially my girlfriend, yes. There you go. Well, see, I, I didn't know how much liberty to divulge to our audience. I'll go for it. But you've been in a phenomenally great mood, and you're always a pretty happy guy. I will say that. You you love your job.
0: It's overcompensation to hide my inner <laughs> darkness, Spike.
1: That's fair, and I appreciate your honesty. No, But, but I know that you, you love this gig. You love this industry. You love radio. Indeed I do. And I've said many, many times that we're really lucky that uh, people still care about this business because radio has, you know, over the last 20 years I'll say, it's been going on that long, radio has devolved uh, into a corporate-run business that is, you know, stockholder-driven, short-term return-focused and sometimes a lot of big companies, through consolidation, there are now only a handful of big radio companies in America. And for the most part, they do things as efficiently as they can to benefit their stockholders. And a lot of times what you find is that they cut corners on customer service, dealing with you the audience, how they do their product, they find ways to be efficient. They have people recording multiple stations in multiple cities. One guy will voice track, you know, f- numerous stations, and it's almost like a, you know, it's a jukebox for a lot of the a lot of the industry out there. This format of talk radio is one of the last bastions of having local people talking to an audience. Um, but I also know that you take great pride in the side of programming of a radio station. We talked about AI and if it can what jobs it could replace and the fact that AI has no soul. And to program a good radio station, you have to understand music and how an audience reacts to it. And I think you've got that in spades.
0: Thank you so much. And also changing trends, how people consume the media that they consume.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, but Matt, you know, his girlfriend was in town this weekend and... You know, I that your girlfriend left town, went back, and does she live in like, Guam? Where's Where does your <laughs> girlfriend?
0: She's a resident of Southern Oregon.
1: Okay, so it's not not a, it's a different time zone, but just barely or same time zone. No, same time zone. Okay, but but I know you guys, um, you guys have what they call a long long distance relationship. Exactly, and that's tough to do. It really is, man. It's tough to be. It's tough to be uh, to be with someone when you have to do things telecommuting wise. You know, and it can, can be a tough fit. And it's great when you actually can have somebody come and be a part of your life, even if it's for a weekend.
0: It so, is. And, you know, when you're somebody who maybe doesn't keep a schedule where you have a very active social calendar and you may be a little introverted, it's kind of like that uh, Dean Martin song. Serenely independent and content before we met. And then he meets this woman and he becomes accustomed to having her around and the joy she brings into his life. And for me as a more introverted person, when I find somebody friend or a relationship where I can really enjoy spending time, having my space quote unquote invaded in a pleasant way,
1: it's a wonderful thing. It is. But, but I will also say this, my friend, um, when you have someone that you care about in your life and they are, you know, in, in another city, when it's a long distance relationship, there's a lot to be said for the fact that you still get to be you. You know, a lot of folks fall in love and get in a relationship and, they become so in, involved with their their partner that they kind of lose track of what makes them them. And you have that luxury of both of those those benefits of having somebody you care about that you can communicate with and enjoy their time and conversation. They can come to town, spend a little real time face time together, actually experience and enjoy each other's company, and then still though have the time to do what you do and be who you are, and care about what you care about. It's a also, nice one of the
0: notable points to me is that this is the first relationship I've been in where the person I'm with actually actively consumes my craft. In previous relationships, people I dated didn't actually listen to the shows I was on,
1: and, and that made tough. me feel
0: very supported.
1: Well, yeah, not. <laughs> um, it's tough when somebody doesn't get what you get, doesn't get what you do. Does you know? It doesn't doesn't because they can't feel your passion. They can't understand your passion for what you care about. It's nice when somebody does share that too. That's cool. Right on, man. And I know your friend went back home. Your girlfriend went back home and you know, you're a little, a little distracted and that's cool. You know, hey,
0: checking into the heartbreak hotel after yeah. the show,
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever you got to do, man. I know, you, I know someone gave you a fine bottle of, of, of liquor for Christmas. <laughs> that'll help. That'll help the week of, uh, you know, reacclimating to your loneliness. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I wanted to just take a moment to acknowledge that I know you've had a pretty great weekend and your friend came to town. I think it's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: We mentioned the, uh, we'll talk a little bit now about what's going on in Olympia. And I think we're going to try to have uh, Matt Markovich back on again, uh, probably probably next week. We don't want to overtax our time with him because he's a busy, busy guy that does a lot of great work for the station. But it's always a treat when we can have him on talking about what's going on in Olympia. And... One of the things we've heard mentioned so many times, um, Dory Monson was a was passionate about this topic. Uh, that the police in Washington State sometimes we make their jobs harder than it has to be, and the police pursuit bill, which is uh, trying to be tabled this year down in Olympia, uh, that would be uh, House Bill sixteen 13, sixteen. Excuse me, House Bill thirteen sixty three. It would allow police uh, more leeway in when they can enter into high-speed pursuit. As it currently stands, a law passed back in 2021 says that the police can only be involved in high-speed pursuit when they um, have knowledge of a violent crime being committed. They basically have to witness a violent crime being committed and someone fleeing the scene. They can then pursue at a high speed or if they – have reasonable uh, belief that there is an intoxicated driver on the road; they have uh, the the power to pursue at high speed under those circumstances because then you are probably, you know, taking a drunk driver out of the mix and, le- and not pursuing a drunk driver is just asking for trouble. Well, Democratic State Senator Manka Dingra uh, kept that pursuit bill thirteen sixty three from being brought to the floor and the senator said that there is research that shows a study that shows a study research study by dr martina morris retired professor from uw showed that the number of deaths linked to police pursuits in washington dropped 73 percent since this no pursuit law was was enacted from 11 people dying as a result of high-speed police chases to just three since then well that data is being not just called into question, but being totally debunked. And that is by uh, Republican, excuse me, Representative Alicia Rule, a fellow Democrat. She's pushing for the data to be thrown out completely. Rule commissioned a Seattle University researcher to review the data published by Morris. And it led to a scathing review of the data. If the analysis was submitted to peer review, it would be summarily rejected, as it does not satisfy threshold criteria for quantitative scientific work. Wrote Dr. Dr. Matthew Hickman from Seattle University. The analysis should be disregarded in its entirety. Now, Dr. Morris's research linked back to news coverage of police pursuits that ended in deaths. That included a deadly motorcycle crash that killed two people. Though the article noted the police called off a chase. Now, in 2018, Fox News interviewed then Public Information Officer Ed Troyer of the Pierce County Police Department of Sheriff's Department. Who reported that the motorcycle took off at a speed exceeding 100 miles per hour, which led them to call off the pursuit. The TNT article linked in the research noted the same thing, writing the motorcycle sped away, and the deputy opted not to pursue it. Now, reached via email, Dr. Morris told Fox 13 that news reports were inconsistent as to whether the pursuit was called off. In summary, no one is disputing the fewer people have been killed since this legislation enacted the pursuit law reform, or reform law, excuse me. Anyway, so are we going to have this law overturned? Are we going to take the cuffs off the police department and let them pursue criminals? We've become the number one state in America for stolen vehicles because folks know they're not going to be chased by the police. You know, incidents of smash and grab robberies that aren't violent aren't being chased by the police and criminals know this. And I'm just a firm believer that you got to let cops do their job. In 2021, they changed the threshold for a chase from reasonable suspicion to probable cause. Now the legal terminology may sound similar, but the difference has been apparent in recent months. Advocates who want the reverse course, who want a reverse course, return to reasonable suspicion. Point to rising car theft numbers. Like I said, those who want to stay the course note that fewer police pursuits has translated to fewer deaths. So there's there's pros and cons on this issue. There's reasons to not chase people at high speeds. I totally get it. Putting the public in danger is never a good thing. But I would, uh, I would put it out there that increased crime by criminals who know they're not being chased, that also puts the public at danger. You know, criminals, people who steal cars, that puts the public at danger. People who, have, people who are driving stolen cars, they are much more likely to speed themselves, to put the public at risk. They use those stolen cars in the Commission of Crimes, at which point they'd be taken off on a high-speed getaway, putting the public at risk. It's not just being chased by a cop when criminals injure people with vehicles. If the data's flawed, you can't count on the data. That just seems like... The basic common sense, you know, and the uh, state senator uh, Dingra Manka Dingra. She said, "Well, this just proves that we need more information, so we shouldn't change the law." Well, that's kind of you know having it both ways. You see, you have got study a uh, data that shows that this law is working, and we've gone from eleven de- deaths from resulting from police chases to just three. So the law is working, and then you say that the data you have is no good. Well, that just proves we need to to get more data, and we shouldn't change the law until we do. I don't know. I think we should at least hear this bill in Olympia. I think you should have the option of getting the facts and and debating the topic because most folks would, I think, want the police department to be able to do their job. I'd like to live in a state that's – less prone to criminals doing whatever the hell they can think they get away with because no one's going to chase them around the streets. Just my two cents. You know, we've talked also to Matt about the potential of lowering the blood alcohol level in the state of Washington to .08 to .05 and whether or not that law will get the uh, get a hearing in Olympia, whether or not uh, the drunk driving laws in Washington will come a little more strict like they are in Utah already. They've dropped their PAC number from 0.08 to 0.05. But there's a story about uh, how Sweden has pretty much eliminated drunk driving completely. They have figured out drunk driving in Sweden. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I love how this article is written. This article is on a uh, <clears throat> a website called Lifesaver.com. You've got to love that. A lot of confidence in that name. It's called How Sweden Figured Out Drunk Driving. One thing Americans don't like to do is learn from another country. Well, that's true enough. We have our own way of doing things, and it's gotten us pretty far. But other countries are a lot further along when it comes to drunk driving. It pays to look look over your shoulder. Take Sweden, it says. Sweden is the lowest rate of alcohol abuse and drunk driving in all of Europe. But it wasn't always so. Alcohol abuse was common in the 19th century and by... Tradition, drinking in Scandinavian countries meant drinking to intoxication. That was tradition over there. You drink till you fall down. Of course, this was the 19th century. There weren't a lot of drivers back then. So what they've done in Sweden is high taxation on alcohol. A fifth, or excuse me, a liter in Sweden of vodka is taxed to the tune of about 25 bucks. So people just can't afford to get that drunk. Strict regulation. Alcohol, apart from light beer, is sold only at state-licensed stores. And the stores aren't open at night. In many countries, it's common to have a drink any evening after work. In Sweden, drinking during the week is generally looked upon as less how drinking during the day would be seen in America. In Sweden, the weekends are for drinking. And it's noted that getting drunk is not frowned upon. Not on the weekends. We'll talk more about this as we move forward. I would love to be living in a safer state with less criminals running around, less cars being stolen. I hope Olympia gives us a chance to have that. When we come back, how about the house that couple's trying to build at an off-ramp on I-5? Let's talk about what the hell that means. I know housing's crazy, but building a a mini house, a little house, tiny house, on an off-ramp on I-5. It's Kyra Knights, Spike McNeil with Matt Butler. We'll be right back.
0: a couple fish if the water
1: don't switch I keep a cool head when I'm using my fits I can't complain I stay pretty dry in the rain <laughs> Welcome back to Cairo Nights. The spot, to Story today is that to the uh, new convention center is opening up right down there by the Paramount Theater right by I-5. And uh, hopes that it will help to rejuvenate downtown Seattle. Talked a little bit about that earlier today with uh, Jack Stein. And the conclusion that we came to collectively was that while a convention center will bring, you know, travel business, convention business into Seattle, bring revenue into Seattle, that'll help fund the changes the city needs to make. But before Seattle's going to make the comeback we all want it to make... What has to be addressed is the the image of downtown, and that image is in large part dictated by the amount of homeless people, people experiencing homelessness, those who are houseless. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this, to be respectful of folks who are going through this terrible situation. We spoke last night, and uh, I think Matt Markovich put it in, in perfect terms, a third of those experiencing homelessness are doing so for economic reasons. Another third are due to uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Uh, The final third to to Matt's, and this was just Matt's perception of the situation, given the amount of reporting he's done on the topic, which is pretty extensive. The final third is mental illness situations, people that need mental, um, mental health care and assistance. We see these encampments along our roadways, as you drive through Seattle and in other neighborhoods and Tacoma is no different. We have the same situation there. Portland is even worse than Seattle is. Believe me, I've, I could tell you, I worked down there for quite a while and Portland's homelessness situation, the people experiencing homelessness and the encampments are much more prevalent, intrusive, brazen in Portland than they are here in Seattle. But we're talking about our hometown and what it's going to take. There is a couple and they're featured on a a piece by by Como News that have – they've built a house near the Mercer on-ramp where Mercer and I-5 meet here at South Lake Union in Seattle. And the couple is experiencing homelessness from, uh, from the economic perspective. They were part of an encampment that was cleared out and found they to, to quote the couple they're going by the names Candace and Mark asked to be identified in the story from Coma by their first name only and they found themselves you know with all their earthly belongings and and no where to go and no way to protect what little things little possessions they had to try to get from day to day and what they've done is they've they've built a tiny house on the mercer on-ramp easement there. The land is owned by, you know, Seattle Department of Transportation and Washington State Department of Transportation, WASDOT and SDOT. And police have been, of course, to this camp. And there are other people experiencing homelessness in the same proximity as this young couple. And those folks have tents and, and whatever other shelters they can put together to help ease the situation that they find themselves in. But this couple, Candace and Mark, have using uh, using building materials they claim they grabbed from dumpsters. I'm a little little leery to to buy that, given that they've they've built a tiny house. They've built with full on with a window and a door, and I mean we're talking about a real sliding open window, a construction grade window that may have come from a construction site. I don't know. I don't know that they – I'm not saying they stole it. I don't know. Little, Little leery to believe it was taken from a dumpster. But we're talking about a full-on tiny house. The story shows these pictures. It's – they've built a home. I think it's admirable that they're trying to stay as safe as they can, be as comfortable as they can in this horrific situation – have a place that's secure where their their belongings can be secured if they are able to find some work and, you know, trust that there are things. One of the things that Matt Markovich said was people stay in their camps because they're afraid to lose everything they have if they leave that camp. think all their possessions, which are basically nothing, will be stolen. By the the photos I'm seeing in the video from this Como news story, they're keeping this – Encampment that they've put together. Part of the part of the encampment is blocked by "Welcome to South Lake Union" signs or "Welcome to Lake Union" signs. It's they're trying to do what they can, I think, to make this place look presentable. At least the couple, Candace and Mark, are. But the police told them this isn't staying. We can't let this. You know, just because you're building a tiny house with a foundation and a roof, an A-frame, and a door and a lock and a window. You know, this isn't home. We can't let this stay here. We'll wonder how long they will be allowed to stay there. And you feel for these folks. You know, and not just this, this young couple who's trying to make the best of a horrific situation. But everybody that is going through this, folks that are living in tents, living in cars, living in RVs in our city, Matt and I have been talking about this for weeks now, maybe months now we've been talking about this situation in Seattle, how it's become the identifying factor of this city. Is our, is our population of folks experiencing homelessness and what it's going to take to fix this problem? It's going to take more affordable housing. It's going to take better health care. It's going to take better drug treatment. It's going to take better better wages for our workforce. But all those things have to be happening simultaneously there isn't one solution to this problem this problem needs every one of those oars to be rowing in the same direction for this thing to find a solution and who knows if you know if a if a rent cap is what's going to be needed in this town to help make rental properties affordable if if lifting building code review is being talked about to help speed the process of building More affordable housing is being considered in this town. We need better mental health care. We need better drug and alcohol treatment care for folks. I mean, Matt Markovich put it beautifully. First thing he would do is send in the DEA, get the drugs out of the situation. Then he'd send in mental health professionals because he says two-thirds of everybody experiencing homelessness is suffering from one of those two issues, mental health or drug or alcohol addiction or both. And you can't build houses to get out of this situation. You can't build yourself out of this. It's going to take all these different elements working together to get this problem solved. It's just, you know, I don't know if I'm admiring these folks that built this tiny house or just shocked that this is what it's gotten to. That folks are so, they become so accustomed that this is how they're going to have to live. That a tent or tarp or some plywood isn't enough anymore. They're building a tiny house up there on the I-5 on-ramp at Mercer. They've become famous thanks to the news coverage. You know, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you'll be looking for it. Just on the up on the hillside as you make your way onto I-5 from the Mercer on-ramp. I mean, I don't mean to single this couple out. They almost have to admire their initiative to be as safe and as you know, civilized as you can in this horrific situation. Almost admirable. You know, textures point out that, hey, if we try to do something like this on our own property, we'd be taxed out crazy. People would be coming by and saying, hey, where's your permits? Where's your whole nine yards? I understand it. You know, rules only apply to the folks who can afford to follow the rules and pay the fines if you don't follow the rules what good is it to find somebody who's experiencing homelessness because they don't have a building permit they don't have if they had the money for the fine they wouldn't be where they are yep we got problems we need solutions we're working on it appreciate all your input text lines 888-973-5476 always appreciate you guys putting your two cents in Cairo Nights, I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cairo Nights do you believe in curses? Are you a superstitious guy? No, I mean, I love
0: the Stevie Wonder song, but me personally, not superstitious.
1: <laughs> Fair enough, man. Uh, you know, I I, I, I kind of am superstitious, but this story, I, I I, think we can look past that. I think there's a legitimate reason this story, uh, the results of this story is what, what we're looking at here. And what I'm talking about is something called The Netflix Curse. It's a uh, in regard to a Netflix documentary called Breakpoint. And it's a documentary about tennis. It follows 10 of the world's top tennis pros. And this Netflix documentary, Breakpoint, of these 10 tennis players, not one of them has made it to the second round of the Australian Open, which kicked off last week. And the internet is buzzing about how this the Netflix curse is why these 10 tennis players have all been bounced out before the second round at the Australian Open. And we're talking about some of the premier tennis players in the world, and they're losing like, like the third-ranked player in the world losing to the 98th-ranked player in the world. Three of the people who are featured in this documentary, Point Break, didn't even make the tournament. They pulled out prior because of injuries. And one by one, these tennis, these world class tennis players, have just fallen the wayside. Just getting upset, getting knocked out in the first round. But you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's a curse. I usually, I usually look for similarities, and when things like this happen, and coincidences are. You know, I don't buy it. It's my opinion that if if Netflix is following you around to do a documentary, that's a distraction. That's intruding into your your regime of of training of of practice. And I think if all ten of these folks that were involved in this documentary for Netflix got bounced before the second round of the Australian Open. Maybe the fact that you agreed to take part in a Netflix documentary is why you're out by the second round, is why three of you got injured before the tournament even started. You know, it's, it's, tough, to, it's tough to be a professional athlete, of course. It's tough to be at the top of any game. You've got to really dedicate yourself. You've got to work all the time. You've got to be focused. Get the same amount of sleep, get the same amount of diet, same amount of exercise. You know, you've got to rest and recover. And if you're worried about how you're looking on Netflix, I think you're kind of eating into your schedule for training and nutrition and recovery. I think every one of these top, these 10 premier tennis players in the world who took part in this Netflix documentary, Breakpoint, every one of them is paying the price for being in the documentary. That's why you've all got bounced out of the Australian Open prior to the second round. You know the number one player in the USA, Taylor Fritz. Number one in the USA, number nine in the world, fell to a player, one hundred and seventh in the world. I mean, you shouldn't lose to somebody that that's far down. I mean, yeah, upsets happen, but all ten of them, three of them didn't even make the tournament. They got injured ahead of time. You know, it, like the the HBO series Hard Knocks. Where HBO comes in and films your training camp, right? No team that has invited HBO's Hard Knocks in into film their team in in summer, you know, training camp has won a championship. I think I think distractions and you know, deviating from the norm, it makes it impossible to do your job to win at this at that that level of competition. You know how hard it is to win a championship. Everything's got to go your way. You got to avoid injuries. You got to avoid distractions. You know, when Colin Kaepernick got bounced from the NFL for his political stances, his, or his kneeling, right? When he, when he was blackballed by the NFL, it was a complete injustice, right? I mean, guy was being persecuted for his beliefs because he took a knee. You know, the, I, to me, the real story here for Colin Kaepernick, and I think it's relevant to this story, it wasn't because Colin Kaepernick's politics would have been a distraction in the locker room. Well, no, that's exactly what it is. The distraction. It's not because the team didn't agree with his point of view or they didn't have the right to take a knee and protest what he felt was police brutality against his community. It was the distraction. It was the reporters. It was the media focusing on Colin Kaepernick if he was part of your locker room. I guarantee you Colin Kaepernick had better skill sets than a, than a percentage of backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, I was never a huge Colin Kaepernick fan, but the guy did have skills, incredible skills, took his team to a Super Bowl, gave the Seahawks all they could muster every time they played the guy. We got the better of them most times, but gave us all we could handle. But when someone is that much of a distraction, when there's that much outside of football going on, that's the kind of distraction that could be the difference between you winning and not winning a championship. And I think that's why Colin Kaepernick was never invited to play for any other team in the NFL once he became the protest star he was. I think the same thing happened to these tennis players. You decided to, you know, take the publicity of a Netflix documentary series. You lost your focus. You know, you, maybe you were worried about how, how – have you seen my series? Are you doing media for the series? And you get upset by a guy 100 places less than you in the rankings, in the international rankings. There's no curse. It's a bad decision by everybody involved to get involved. And now you're paying the price. I think there's more to that than a Netflix curse. But I think tennis is like watching paint dry, so do I now. Skyra Knight, some Spike O'Neill, along with Matt Butler. will be right back after these.